Okay, so um, let's just review quickly where we've been. We've been talking through counseling issues on how to respond to others, how to respond properly when God makes life hard. And uh, we saw on the cover of our notes uh, three verses that really speak to our hearts, considering it all joy when we encounter various trials, knowing the testing of our faith produces endurance. And, and then as Job said, and we talked about him a little bit last week, that uh, shall we indeed accept goodness from God and not adversity. And then Paul at the end of his life, 2 Timothy probably being the last epistle that Paul ever wrote, saying, suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. So we see that um, it is uh, true that all of those in the Bible were no strangers to suffering. They were no strangers to difficulties. And... Um, and we have been looking through Exodus chapter 5 because as we see this narration of the Israelites as they were um, under very severe conditions in uh, Egypt, under Pharaoh, how we can learn from them. And let's just recount quickly some of the things for your notes so that you can put down. What we uh, had begun this uh, series with is uh, asking four questions or four questions that we should ask when God makes life hard. And these are four questions in a counseling situation that you can ask others. There are also four questions that you could ask yourself if you happen to be the one going through difficult times. And we said, uh, as we read verses 1 through 5, are you responding in obedience to God when things go unexpectedly wrong? And let's just read this again, because it's not that long and I'd like to just kind of again as we continue reading get fresh in our mind again the passage so let's read Exodus uh, 5 1 through 5 if somebody can read that please okay afterward Moses Moses and Aaron went and said to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord, that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and moreover, I will not let Israel go. Then they said, The God of the Hebrews has met with us. Let us go a three days' journey into the wilderness, that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with the sword. But the king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why do you take the people away from their works? Get back to your burdens. And Pharaoh said, Behold, the people of the land are now many, and you make them rest from their burdens. Okay, so remember that we had said that God had commanded Moses to go and speak to Pharaoh, and who was he to take? The elders. The elders, right, but he took Moses, so he disobeyed the Lord. And he was to ask in a polite way. And what was he to ask for initially? Does anybody remember? He was asking for a three-day trip into the wilderness, right? What did Moses ask for? Kind of national emancipation, didn't he? So he said the wrong thing. Um, and Moses and Aaron had thought as they entered into this uh, time with Pharaoh that they were uh, very confident that things would go right right away. But, of course, things went very badly. They didn't get the response from Pharaoh that they expected. They were kind of left behind. Things went unexpectedly wrong. Um, and we see, again, as we made uh, reference to, that many times uh, we see that life situations don't go the way that we expect. 
And so this is certainly the case. And remember we referenced Joseph and his life in Genesis. We talked about Job. Uh, does anybody have a, a recent um, illustration of where life hasn't quite gone the way you thought it might, like over the last 10 minutes or so? Or? <laughs> <laughs> here we go. You got some extra copies here. Guys, fall asleep. Sorry. Things like more than expected. No, does anybody have any examples of uh, things that have happened that you didn't kind of expect? Yeah, 10 minutes now. Yeah, okay, let's go 15. No, I'm kidding. Uh, I don't care. Weeks, days, it doesn't matter. Well, I guess it could be for the good. Well, well. I didn't play in our like family's football pool for the Super Bowl. Okay. I was like, maybe that's gambling. I don't know. I'm just not going to do it. I've done it every single year from eighth grade. This is the first year that I won anything. And oh. I didn't play. My grandma bought me squares, and I won the final Super Bowl, like the big one. How did you win without playing? Because my grandma bought me squares, and no one told me. Oh, no. your grandma gambled for you, and you didn't even... It's like somebody buying you a lottery ticket, right? And then you win. <laughs> so that I think that would be a good way to win. I didn't, I didn't watch. I was in my bedroom, like, trying to go to sleep when the Super Bowl ended, and my mom walked in, and she was like, you just won the Super Bowl pool. So I got eighty dollars, so that's kind of wow. attractive. Comes in that handy for the wedding, right? Yeah. Yeah, there you go, eighty dollars. Well, there you go. Okay. <laughs> Way to fleece the family. That's what I say. You know what I mean? <laughs> I already talked to my grandma because I was like, "Grandma, you bought this square, and she told me to keep it." Yeah, yeah. Do you need a copy, Gigi? Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Um. Okay. So, well, that's an unexpected kind of a good thing, isn't it? Um, yeah, and that and that's good. Um, well, I've had a lot of unexpected challenges, most of which I'm not at liberty to share. But in the life of ministry, I never really run out of you know challenges. Let's put it that way. But we all know what that is. And uh, and again, remember what we said in the initial thing. And I want you to be able to fill this out that. When things go unexpectedly wrong, we have to examine ourselves first and see, is it something that we've done or is it that God is making life hard? And he intentionally does make life hard at times. Um, and the reason he does this, why does God make life hard? Does anybody remember what we said from the first time we went through this? So we may trust in him. Yeah, so that we might trust in him. It further sanctifies us. We are matured in the crucible of suffering. God doesn't waste our suffering. In fact, we grow much more in our faith through the challenging times than we do through the blessings. Now, I love the blessings, don't get me wrong. I'll take those all day long. I'm not one to lay down on the railroad track all on my own. But when it happens, we want to learn from it, and we want to grow from it, and we want to trust God knowing that uh, if we are uh, examining our lives and, and um, we know that there's no or don't feel that there's any known sin that we're in, that we're not confessing to him, then let's see what we can learn. There's no shortcut for growth this way, and God often does this. And the Bible talks about how he burns away the dross, right? Uh, how does uh, metal get refined? When you put metal into a furnace, it burns away all the impurities, and you get the purer metal. And in a sense, the Bible says God does that with us. He puts us through what's called the refiner's fire. And... Um, 
We know that he uh, refines us uh, as with fuller soap, as we see in Malachi 3.2. And every believer should expect this. We should count it all joy when we fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of our faith produces endurance. So this is something that's normal. And this is exactly what was happening to Moses. He obviously was in disobedience to God. But what did we say? Do you think if Moses had obeyed God and had taken the elders and had gone to Pharaoh and done exactly and said exactly what God said, do you think this would have changed the outcome? Yes Yes. or no? Okay, what do you say? No. Okay, I would agree with the no. And why is that? Why do we know that it wouldn't have changed the outcome? Okay, because the Lord told Moses what? That he wouldn't listen, that he was going to harden Pharaoh's heart. He said, look, I want you to go, I'm going to harden his heart. So it's like, I'm just telling you ahead of time. But but also, Pharaoh was the the first one to harden his heart, and then eventually the Lord hardened his heart. Yeah, that's right, Norm. That's exactly right. And God said he was going to harden it further. So that's right. So... So this was a trial that was ordained by God. And again, God had circumstances to play out that Moses knew nothing about at the time. And so remember what we said, and I'm going to go through these quickly. We have to remember that obedience doesn't depend on our circumstances, but upon our character. In other words, we're obeying God. We're to see God in every circumstance. In other words, to know we're not abandoned or forsaken. We're to see that unexpected problems often prepare us for future influence as we, again, gain wisdom, and that righteousness is not always immediately uh, seen. Uh, Righteousness is not always immediately rewarded, is it? It's not always something that that we're going to get a reward for immediately. Okay, then we asked again, and I want to go through this because this is by way of review. The second question to ask when God makes life hard is, am I responding in such a way as to embrace the adversity? Am I responding in such a way as to embrace the adversity? And here we read verses 6 through 19. And let me read that for us, okay? It says, So the same day Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters over the people and their foremen, saying, You are no longer to give the people straw to make brick, as previously let them go and gather straw for themselves. But the quota of bricks which they were making previously, you shall impose on them. You are not to reduce any of it, because they are lazy. Therefore they cry out, let us go and sacrifice to our God. Let the labor be heavier on the men, and let them work at it, so that they will pay no attention to false words. So the taskmasters of the people and their foremen went out and spoke to the people, saying, Thus says Pharaoh, I am not going to give you any straw. You go and get straw for yourselves wherever you can find it, but none of your labor will be reduced." So the people scattered through all the land of Egypt to gather stubble for straw. The taskmasters pressed them, saying, Complete your work quota, your daily amount, just as when you had straw. Moreover, the foremen of the sons of Israel, whom Pharaoh's taskmasters had set over them, were beaten and were asked, Why have you not completed your required amount, either yesterday or today, in making brick as previously? And then the foreman of the sons of Israel came and cried out to Pharaoh, saying, Why do you deal this way with your servants? There is no straw given to your servants, yet they keep saying to us, Make bricks. And behold, your servants are being beaten, but it is the fault of your own people. But he said, You are lazy, very lazy. Therefore you say, Let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. 
So go now and work, for you will be given no straw, yet you must deliver the quota of bricks. And the foremen of the sons of Israel saw that they were in trouble, because they were told, you must not reduce your daily amount of bricks. Now you can see here what a dilemma this is. I mean, they put an impossible task on the people, and we read about all of the malnutrition, the kidney disease, the, uh, the uh, lack of hydration, uh, men dying of heat, uh, stroke and also of thirst. Um, it was just a very difficult situation. And of course the Israelites were not happy about this. They were blaming Moses. They were uh, very much uh, just under what was terrible persecution. Um, and, and sometimes persecution takes a very, very difficult road, doesn't it? I mean, we know that Christians are being killed every day because of their faith. Um, there is adversity that comes into our lives. We are not um, immune to this. We can be mocked. We can be trivialized. We can be um, even paying the ultimate price for our faith. Um, but this is where often we have to remember that as we embrace the adversity... We do so because we know that the Lord is in every trial. And we know that, as Job said, remember, though he slay me, yet still will I trust in thee. And I think that's one of the greatest verses to remember, that if God ordains our death, then we can think, as Paul said, for me to live is Christ, but die is what? Is gain. So we have to understand the sovereignty of God, and this is where we get our faith, and this is where we learn to embrace adversity, because we realize that we will never be in any adversity that God has not ordained or that God has not allowed. No one can touch a hair on our head um, without the Lord's permission, without God knowing it. And we see that in the early chapters of Job when Satan went to God and asked for permission to test Job. So we looked at this and we said, number one, that adversity provides greater opportunities to glorify God. Uh, that it promotes spiritual maturity, and that it magnifies our integrity. So we see there are advantages to this. God even uses the most difficult adversity in our life to bring good out of it. And this is something that the world has a lot of trouble understanding, because that doesn't make sense to the world at large. So um, we have to remember that. Also, adversity forces us to depend upon the Lord, doesn't it? When God kicks the legs out from underneath us, we have to depend upon him. Um, and the last thing we said was that it prepares our hearts for ministry. In other words, it, it softens us, it equips us to serve others. So it's a very necessary thing at times. And uh, we know that adversity is part of what we live in, in a fallen, sin-cursed world. We live in a fallen world. Uh, we live in a world that is not as God intended, and yet God is not leaving us nor forsaking us. All right, so we can plow new ground now, and let's look at the third question to ask when God makes life hard. And again, these are things that you bring up to a counselee. These are things that you want to ask them. Having asked, am I obedient to God when things go unexpectedly wrong? And am I embracing adversity? You also want to ask, am I shifting the blame onto someone else for my difficult circumstances? Am I shifting the blame onto someone else for my difficult circumstances? Um, as you might expect, 
although it is unfortunate, the Israelites really responded very poorly to this new condition. Um, and things got a lot more difficult to them. Now, think of it this way. If you were in a job and you worked in a manufacturing plant and you were barely able to meet the quota, working as hard as you could and having your materials supplied to you, how would you feel if all of a sudden the foreman came and said, you know what, I'm now expecting you to meet the same quota and you have to get your own supplies? You know, I mean, that would probably not be a situation that we would go, wow, this is great, Lord, thanks for this. That's not the normal thought pattern, is it, that we have. Uh, in fact, that's a time when the flesh can really kick in and it can be, um, it can be very frustrating, especially when we start trying to justify in our own minds why things are the way they are. And um, I don't know about you, but in my flesh, when I think of certain areas in my life, I don't have a hard time having that self-pity party, the complaining in my own heart and mind that I do before the Lord. Uh, it, it, it's something that's in our nature, um, that hangs in our old nature, and we have this propensity to sin. So I want you to notice Moses' response to the foreman, and let's move on and read verses 19 through 23. Can somebody read that? And now we plow new ground. Man, if this does not sound like total practical application, I don't know what does, you know. So the people complained, the Israelites came, and who did they complain to? Moses, what are you doing? You know, you've just basically put a sword in Pharaoh's hand. You might as well just kill us now. What's the matter with you? How could you do this? I mean, you told us we were going to be free. You told us God gave you great confidence. You told us we'd be fine, and things are worse than they've ever been. And what did Moses do? He went to God and he blamed God, didn't he? He says, look, what's going on? You haven't delivered us at all. You haven't kept your promise. You haven't done what you said you were going to do. I'm in a mess. I'm losing my credibility. Everybody's mad at me. And so Moses blamed God. Now, doesn't this sound a lot like the Garden of Eden? Okay, let's follow that little bunny trail, okay? Who sinned first? Who sinned first? Who, who ate? Eve, Eve right? And she gave to, and he ate, right? And when God questioned Eve, what did she say? It's the serpent's fault. He, he did it. I didn't know. And so when God went to Adam, what did he do? He blamed Eve. He said, she's the one that gave it to me. And I've stuck with that one. I like it. You know, that's my, that's my default. You know, Lord, you gave us the woman. I can't help it. She was deceived and, you know. Um, and this is the pattern we see. And Forrest, you had a comment or a question? I was just going to say, I think there's another lesson here that there are consequences for our actions. Absolutely. For instance, even with 
Moses going to Pharaoh. Yeah. He didn't follow what God said. No, he didn't. Later, God said, you know, you'll get water out of the rock. That's right. What he, did couldn't, he... he couldn't stand that, so he took his stick. And he whacked rock, it. And he hit the rock. Yep. And I can't help but think, look what happened with the consequences from both of yeah. those things. Yeah. Things, we know Pharaoh's yeah. heart was hardened. Exactly. But still, the consequences may not have been quite so severe. Absolutely. If been obedient. Absolutely. So I and... think when we're counseling, we need to say, is this a result of a decision you've made in your life yeah. that you need, you, know, you need to let the Lord work on. Yeah. You know, that's a great point. And two things come to mind with that great comment is, number one, that, you know, you would have thought Moses would have learned um, from this, especially with the rock incident later on, that, you know, you're getting ready to go into the promised land. Okay, now what did God exactly tell me to do? Because I didn't do that before, and that didn't come out so well. But it's like us too, don't we? We, we need to be relearning things. Secondly, what it tells us in the, in the realm of counseling, and this is what I want you to understand, is that one of the hardest things to get people to see and to admit to is their own disobedience. Because oftentimes disobedience doesn't look that radical or severe. You know, God says this. Okay, God says this, and instead of us doing this, we just do this. We're kind of there, but we do this. Right? But this is disobedience. It may not be that we're doing this. God says this and we're doing this. No, God says this and we do this. And we think, and it's so easy for us to justify in our own hearts and minds that, well, it's not so bad. I mean, it's no big deal, Lord. You know, it's, it's what's the problem? You know, like Eve, when she ate of the forbidden fruit, it's like, well, you know, it can't hurt that much. I mean, really, what can come out of this? Man. Wouldn't you not want to be Adam and Eve in glory? I mean, God has to really change our minds because wouldn't people be standing in line like, what were you thinking? You know, but the reality of it is we would all be doing that. If we were in the garden, we would have, every one of us would have done the same thing. So we really can't blame them. But I'm glad that this account is in Scripture because it shows the predictability of what we do when we get in trouble, when we're mad, when we're in trouble. We usually find someone else to blame and we get angry at them. It's always somebody else's fault. And it's really easy for us to blame circumstances, to blame someone else. Um, remember that the foreman had just left Pharaoh's presence and they see Moses and Aaron waiting to meet them. And what do they do? They immediately pronounce a curse on them. May the Lord look upon you and judge you in verse 21. So Moses and Aaron, uh, this is all your fault, and how quickly they forgot that it was Pharaoh who had enslaved them, and it was Pharaoh who was responsible for this insane decree. It was Pharaoh that did this. And they had forgotten Moses' display of power back in 4, verses 30 and 31, where they were convinced of the authority which, in which Moses had been vested. Remember back in chapter 4, 30 and 31? We read, and Aaron spoke all the words which the Lord had spoken to Moses, and then he performed the signs in the sight of the people. So the people believed, and when they heard that the Lord was concerned about the sons of Israel, and that he had seen their affliction, then they bowed low and worshipped. They had even seen visible signs. God had shown them, look, my power is upon them, my anointing is upon them, and the people had seen that. 
Um, and so they were convinced of this authority. But, you know, the truth is Moses didn't do any better than the people, did he? I mean, he didn't do any better than they did. And he never really took the time to understand what was happening. <clears throat> and so in frustration and, and maybe fear and confusion, he blamed God for things turning out the way they did. And with bold arrogance, he questions God, why have you harmed this people? Why did you ever send me? Um, why have you not delivered this people? And man, does that sound familiar? Now, we may not say it in quite those words, but oftentimes when we doubt and when we are angry or when we're frustrated in a trial or when we don't feel we're seeing the hand of the Lord, we can get into the same kind of mindset. And, you know, when we counsel people, here's what I want you to understand. People that we counsel that are going through difficult times can not only get into this mindset, but here's the thing. They get into this mindset as a settled mindset. In other words, they're willing to live with it, and there's this underlying bitterness and anger and frustration and resentment. They stop thinking about why they are where they are. They stop thinking about what would God have them to do. They stop taking godly counsel. And listen, if you're firing these kinds of prayers up to God, then, then we really need to examine ourselves. When things don't turn out as planned and when life gets unbearably hard, when we have a tendency to shift the blame onto someone else or something else, um, either directly or indirectly, we're blaming God. When we're not happy with our circumstances, when we're bitter against uh, where we are in life, who we're with in life, what we're doing in life, we're indirectly blaming God, saying, well, you just fell asleep at the switch. You know, I just, you're, just not, you're not meeting my expectations. You're not meeting my desires. You're not agreeing with my spirit. And we sin when we're discontented. We sin when we're complaining. Where is it? Is it in Ephesians or Philippians where the Lord says, do all things without grumbling and complaining? I think it's Philippians, isn't it? Oh, I don't like that verse. Short verse, but man, that's convicting. 215, yes. Do all things without grumbling. Anybody ever keep that verse for more than like an hour? Ah, <laughs> uh, That's hard, isn't it? We sin in our... Verse. What's that? I've got another verse. Oh, go ahead. Psalm 141. All right, fire away. It says, Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Do not incline my heart to any evil thing. Oh, man, that's for sure. Yeah. And out of the heart, the mouth speaks. And sometimes we need that spiritual duct tape, don't we? Like wrapped around our faces to keep us from saying things that are going to be really, really... Like those words we say, we wish we had on a string and we could go, oh, let me take another run at this. You know, I wish I hadn't said that. But, you know, we can sin in our hearts too. And uh, we can blame for God what he is doing. We can blame God for what he isn't doing. Um, it's our propensity to do that. If God is making life hard, let's not blame others for our circumstances. Um, don't retire into a corner. And tell yourself how miserable life is. Let me tell you, when you talk to yourself this way, it's never a good thing. Um, don't talk about how unfair everything is. How you gave it your best and God has let you down. You know, I hear this from Christians all the time. You know, I've never tried to serve God harder in my life than right now. And my life is worse than it's ever been. And I say, well, praise the Lord. 
you know what? That may be because God's got you right where he wants you. You know, and, and sometimes the harder we try to serve the Lord, the worse it gets. Um, but you know what? That's not a bad thing. And we have to look at the fact that when things are difficult, it's because God is moving in our lives in a very specific way. And when you look at the great men of God, when you look at men like Joseph, or you look at men like Daniel, or Abraham, or Isaac, you look at uh, the Apostle Paul, you look at the disciples, you see that they went through incredibly difficult lives. Read Fox's Book of Martyrs and look at the difficulty that they went through. And yet for the glory of God, yes? Um, a verse that has become a favorite of mine that echoes what you just talked about. I am the Lord and there is no other. Yeah. I form light and I create darkness. Yes. I make well-being and I create calamity. I am the Lord who does all these things. Right. And you know, isn't that interesting? I create calamity, but then Paul says, but he does work all things together for good. So is it fair to say that even in our calamity, God works things together for the good? And we may not see the good this side of glory. We may not see it till we get to heaven. But God does work all things together for the good. So don't blame God for your circumstances. Don't retire and ask him or tell him how fair it is. Um, let your trials and testings, first of all, drive you back to God in prayer. And this is one of the things that we ought to do. This is a great time to increase your prayer life. Because during trials, I have found that God gives us an innate sense of closeness to him if we truly love him. Difficulty in your life is going to do one of two things. It's either going to drive you to God or it's going to drive you away from God. And if it's driving you away from God, that's a serious time to do some inner retrospection and saying, am I, am I truly in the faith? Why would this drive me away from God? And perhaps it's just a matter of needing to grow in our faith. It may not be that there's necessarily something wrong. But let your testings drive you back to God in prayer. Listen, there is no time that we are driven closer to God than in times of prayer. When did David write most of his psalms? When he was fleeing from Saul, right? Some of the greatest scripture that ever came to us. And I would argue that the psalms are just a, just a crowning crown of, of the Old Testament were written in the times of greatest adversity. Right? Um, we see David and him crying out to God and depending upon God and how close he drew to God um, in times of trouble. He didn't go farther away. He drew closer to the Lord. And you know what? It's at that time that we really sense God's care and we sense it even in the midst of trouble. There is, there is a... There is a very great sense of that peace that passes all understanding when you are in a situation where you are utterly helpless to do anything and you have to depend upon the Lord. I don't know how many of you have ever felt you've been in that situation. I have been in that situation where I, am, I have literally come to the end of myself. And that's not a bad place to be. Where I had to drop to my knees before God and say, without your help, I have nowhere to go. And I sensed a closeness with God that was wonderful. And I want to remember those times because his grace was sufficient. And you know, he did deliver. He did work all things together for the good over and above me, over and above my ability, over and above my, uh, my ability to get out of that trouble. 
And, um, and you know what? It, it, it helps you not to be surprised by things because we know the times God does that. And this again is why Job could tell his wife, shall we not accept adversity? Shall we accept goodness from the Lord, but not adversity? Again, let's be reminded how quick we are to rejoice when things are going well. We need to be as quick to rejoice and be at peace with God when things are not going as well. Paul could cry out, my circumstances have turned out for the greater progress of the gospel. And why is it after the apostles were beaten and flogged and threatened by the Sanhedrin that they could walk away and we read in Acts 5.41 that they rejoiced uh, that they had been considered worthy to suffer shame for his name. What an amazing thing. How many guys do you see whipped and flogged and beaten and shamed for Christ walking away going, I'm not worthy of this? How delightful. And the church was just energized by that. You know? I mean, that's, that's something, you guys, that can only come from the Spirit of God. That's not something that we generate in the flesh. That, that's something that only comes from those whose hearts are knit to God. And the reason that the apostles could make such a unusual response in Acts 5 is because they never lost the sight of the fact that God was in control of all of this. They never lost sight of the fact that he remembers his covenant with us, that he will never leave us nor forsake us, Hebrews 13, 5. And again, we are always driven back to this, that the sovereignty of God is the greatest comfort that a believer has. Um, if there is one attribute of God that I think overshadows our comfort and assurance, it's the sovereignty of God. You know, there is a hideous heresy that has been promoted in our modern times called open theism. And we've talked about this before, and maybe some of you are aware of open theism. It was started by Charnock and others, theologians. And basically the concept... Uh, that they proposed was that God created us, God created the universe, man fell, and now God has just taken his hands off and is just trying to wait to see what man does. Like, man, I never thought this would happen. And God is not directly involved with his creation, and God is not really directly involved in orchestrating anything that he created, he made, God messed, man messed it up, and so God is just going along with the flow, adjusting his will, let me tell you, if that was true of, of any kind of God, I wouldn't, be in that, I wouldn't be a Christian if that was the Christian God. Because there would, be no, there would be no assurance of anything. I mean, if, if a God was that weak and puny and incapable, then you really don't have a God at all. But God's sovereignty is such that we can trust in it. And we know that he will be in control of all things. So let's not blame shift. Expect that God is going to glorify himself in ways that go beyond anything we can anticipate. You know, we see this far and we get into big trouble here. And this is horribly difficult circumstances. But God says, look, when I get you way over here, you're going to look back to here and you're going to see why I did this. And oftentimes that's the case. Not always, but oftentimes that's the case. You know, remember Joseph. Joseph was thrown into a pit by his brothers. They left him to die. He was picked up by, what was it, the Midianites? I can't remember, traitors. 
And they sold him into slavery to Pharaoh. I mean, it's like he's lucky he got away with his life. And then he kind of made a rebound, you know, in Pharaoh's court. He got really uh, well-known, and he was up there right next to Pharaoh, and it looked like, whoa, this is, you know, I'm, I'm really gaining here. And then you remember that he was in Potiphar's household, who was the captain of Pharaoh's guard, and Potiphar's wife made a pass at him, and he refused, and she got mad and accused him of making a pass at her. And Potiphar got angry and threw Joseph in the slammer. And he rotted there basically for like two and a half years. Now, we sit here, oh, two and a half years. I think if you were in jail for two and a half years, you'd have some time to think, wouldn't you? Like, what, what's my life worth here? I mean, why, why am I rotting in jail? And God says, you know what? All of this is happening. I'm sticking you here for two and a half years. But what you don't see, Joseph, is when you get out and when you reestablish yourself, I'm going to reestablish you with Pharaoh to such a powerful extent that you will be over all of Egypt and all of Israel, and you will be the one that will save two nations from literal starvation from a famine that's coming. And that's what Joseph did. And to boot, I'm going to restore you, not only with your brothers, but with your family. Now, Joseph didn't have the end of the story, did he? There was no Genesis 50. He could go, hey, wait, how does this thing end here? You know, oh, this is great. You know, he didn't know this. And it's the same with us. Look, we're in circumstances and we see no good that could come out of this. I mean, how would you feel if you had charges like that against you? You were thrown in jail. I mean, it looks pretty bleak, doesn't it? Um, and I've been in circumstances where I've thought, you know, I just don't know how this is going to come out. I lost a job when, when I was first married. Um, I worked for a company called U.S. Gypsum. And... Um, or actually, no, excuse me, That's I got this backwards. I, I, I had a job uh, when I first got, when I, I was married, and, and we had our son. My son was only, Dan was probably three or four months old. And I lost a job um, because they cut back on personnel. And so I had a lead. I was living in northern Illinois, and I had a lead to go to Boise, Idaho, of all places. I had a, a good job lead to go to Boise. So my brother and I got in the car and drove from Chicago to Boise, Idaho. That's a long drive, let me tell you. Whew. Nebraska. Anybody ever drive through Nebraska? In Wyoming? It's like the dark side of the moon. If you ever drive through Wyoming, it's like if they ever wanted to film a movie for like a moonshot, go to Wyoming. It's like there's nothing there but a few jackrabbits, and it's amazing there's a road going through there. But anyway, so I get to Idaho, and this job just fell through. I mean, it was just, it was the pits. You know, it, it didn't turn out to be, I had spent a fair amount of money. I, it was one of those deals, oh yeah, this is a slam dunk, you know. You've heard that before, right? And in my younger days, I was a little more exuberant, not quite as wise. Um, and this fell through, and I remember, and my brother had to fly home, so he flew home, so I had to drive home from Idaho back to Illinois by myself. Now, there's a lot of time to think between Idaho and Illinois, especially when you have a little Dodge Dart that goes about 60 miles an hour. But I remember thinking all the way home, what am I going to tell my wife? I have a wife and I have a baby and they're depending on me to support them and I don't have a job. That's a very sick feeling. And I know maybe some of you have been in that or worse. And I just remember thinking, what am I going to do? And I remember just praying all the way home, Lord, I don't know what I'm going to do. And um, back in those days, in the 70s, under an administration of a president whom I will not name because I cannot be nice about it. Um, the economy really stunk. 
You remember back in the 70s, the economy, I mean, there were no jobs to be found. And I got back and, and I um, had a friend who worked for USG and he said, let me just go in and talk to my boss. And he said, we're not really hiring. We've had a hiring freeze for like eight months, you know, and he went in and talked to his boss and the guy by God's grace said he would see me, and I had a chemistry background in college early on, and he hired me, and I got a job, and wound up, you know, but, but just the blessing of that, you know, just, I remember dropping to my knees almost in tears, just thanking the Lord, that, you know, because I thought, what am I going to do? I have bills to pay, I've got rent to pay, I don't, I don't have the money, I don't have any way of paying this, and, you know, it, and at the time, it was a very stressful thing, but I look back, and I see the Lord's goodness, and it was like God said, I'm just kicking the legs out from underneath you because you need to grow in your faith. You need to get your eyes more riveted on me. And it worked. It worked. Um, and so I try to encourage others because we go through these things and um, it's difficult. James 4.8 admonishes us to draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Isn't that a great verse? Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. So we're to rivet our hearts and minds on the Lord. He delivers us in His way, in His time. And it's not usually the way we think. It's, you know, oftentimes very different than what we, we think. Okay, any thoughts, questions, comments on that before we go to the last, um, the last thing here? Which I want to get to. All right. Then let's get to the fourth question. Okay, we've asked, am I obedient to God when things go unexpectedly wrong? Uh, we've asked, am I embracing adversity? Thirdly, we asked, am I shifting the blame onto others for my circumstances? And the last thing that we ought to ask or ask our counselees is, am I responding with sure faith that God will rescue me? Am I responding with sure faith that God will rescue me? Now let's look at 6.1 and will someone read that? Exodus 6 verse 1. Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand he will send them out, and with a strong hand he will drive them out of his land. Okay, I love this. That should have put Moses immediately to settled at all, shouldn't he? I mean, God spoke. He will drive you out of this land. I'm going to make it happen. Moses, relax. I'm not doing it in the way you want. I'm not doing it in the fashion you want. Yes, you are going through very difficult and hard times. But there's a reason that I'm putting you through this. And right now, this is part of my bigger plan, and I need you to have faith. I'm sure when Moses went to the Lord and accused him, he was despondent, he was confused. The people, of course, had turned their backs on him. And that's tough, isn't it, when others start getting on our case for things? Um, you know, it's hard in ministry when you want to do what's right before the Lord and you get antagonism from the very people you love and you want to help, but it happens, doesn't it? Sometimes it can come from family members, can it? Uh, we wish the, the best, but we get antagonism in return. So we see that the people that turned their backs on Pharaoh, or on Moses, and Pharaoh's pride was increasing by the minute. And it's at this point that God responds. And I see this response as God's grace to Pharaoh, don't you? That he opens the window again. Um, and the hinge of the whole Exodus enterprise really comes with the now of 6-1. 
Then the Lord said to Moses, now you shall see what I will do. Now. I wanted you where I wanted you, but now you're going to see. And remember that God's response to Moses recalls three elements of their previous conversation. Back in verse 2, he said, I am the Lord. Um, Second, he said, I am the God of the patriarchs. He said, I have heard your complaints back in chapter 2, verses 24 and 25. And by repeating this, God is saying to Moses, let's try this again. I've already told you this, Moses. I shouldn't have to go over this with you again. But this time, listen closely. I am God. I will keep my promise. I will bring you out from underneath the burden of the Egyptians. And I love this, that Moses didn't tell Or the Lord didn't tell Moses to cheer up, to brace up, or get a grip. Well, cheer up, Moses. He didn't make any promise to change Moses. He didn't promise immediate results. He just renewed the revelation of himself. That he would glorify himself in his plan with Israel. And Moses needed to trust the Lord to rescue him. He needed to continue to obey the Lord as God had commanded And apparently Moses at least temporarily learned this lesson well because in Exodus 7, 6, I love this, it says that Moses and Aaron did just as the Lord commanded them. So I think for a while at least they got the message. Uh, So apart from uh, Moses' disobedience in Numbers 20 that we go on to see, he didn't waver in his faith and his obedience from this point on. When he struck the rock, he did, but... In this instance, everything that God told him to do, he did from that point on. And he would become increasingly authoritative. He would be a victorious agent of the Lord. And he would master Pharaoh just as God decreed that he would. Now I want you to think of God's answer to Moses for a minute. Because this again can relate to those we counsel. Uh, I'm sure at the moment this wasn't the answer that Moses was hoping for. What do you think Moses was hoping for when he went to the Lord? What would he, yes? Understanding. Okay, understanding. How often do you hear this from counsel? You just don't understand. You just don't understand. You've got to get down to the problem. You've got you've to hear me here. Right? I'm sure Moses was hoping for an apology and a, and a quick, expeditious, okay, 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 I'm going, I'm going. But basically, the answer that Moses got was, I'm the Lord God, and I'm going to do what I said I'm going to do. Remember when you would ask your parents when you were little, why do I have to go to bed now? Because I said so. I hated that answer, you know. Well, what do you mean you said so? But, you know, what if I said, well, of course, I never said that or I would have gotten whacked. But basically, that's what God's saying. He's basically saying, I'm the Lord and I'll do what I'm going to do. And I don't think that's the answer that really Moses was looking for necessarily. I don't think it was the answer he was hoping for. Um, But, you know, even though we know this academically and we have the full revelation of God, isn't it true that in our hearts and minds we often distrust God in many ways? If we're honest with ourselves, I think we'd all have to say that. We, We trust him, but we don't. He didn't seem to be there when that tragedy happened. We hear people say all the time in the faith, and it sounds very pious, I just 
don't feel close to the Lord now. I just don't feel like I'm connecting with God now. You know, basically, that stems from rebellion in our own hearts. Because God didn't go anywhere, did he? You're indwelt by the Holy Spirit as a believer, right? So God didn't really go anywhere. And it speaks more to our trouble and not God's. But when a loved one dies or when difficulty comes, we think, you know, things have been difficult in my life and now I'm in this trial and how do I really know that I can trust him? I mean, how do I really know that I can trust God in this time of trouble? Um, It's more normal for us to mistrust. Our human nature kicks in. But we know that we can trust him when we rest securely in his sovereignty and in his providence, realizing too that God is glorified in our troubles. Um, Knowing that he is working out his perfect plan and we can't mess it up. I love that. You can't mess it up. You know, I've often had people ask me, how does God's sovereignty and man's human responsibility work? And this is This is the best example I can think of, but it's not the greatest example. Somebody said, it's like you're on an ocean liner from London to New York. And while you're on that ocean liner, you can run around that ship all you want. You can go to any deck you want. You can eat in any restaurant, but you're going to wind up in New York. No matter where you run around that ship. And God's sovereignty is such that God is going to get you where he wants to get you, regardless of where you're running around. And I love that fact, because we would mess it up. Amen, right? Wouldn't we? So, God works out his perfect plans. He's knocked off course by our sin, our mistakes, or our circumstances. We cannot mess up God's plans. And that's why we can praise his faithfulness. Listen, God is so much more faithful to us than we are to him. And we need to realize that. When we tend to distrust God, when we tend to get angry at God, just remember that his faithfulness to us is light years ahead of our faithfulness to him. Our faithfulness is very fickle. His is perfect. In Isaiah 25.1, we read this, O Lord, Thou art my God, I will exalt Thee. I will give thanks to Thy name, for Thou hast works wonders, plans formed long ago with perfect faithfulness. Wow, what a great verse. What was that? the verse? I thought you'd like that. Isaiah 25.1. Deuteronomy 32, verses 3 and 4 affirms this, For I proclaim the name of the Lord, ascribe greatness to our God, the rock, his work is perfect. We need to know that in life or in death, God will ultimately rescue us and he will glorify himself. We can be rescued even in death. And thus Paul could say in Philippians 1.21, For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. And that ought to be our response as well. That when trouble comes, when God makes life hard, respond with great faith. And remember that the writer to Hebrews said in Hebrews 11.6 that without faith it is impossible to please God. You know, I come back to my story of this dear friend, of brother of mine who passed away with cancer. And I watched him in the last month of his life. And if you did not know he had cancer when I was with him, you would have never known his countenance didn't change. His spirit was just as peaceful. His, the joy within his heart was right there. He was anticipating his homegoing. Um, I was humbled because I thought I, I would hope that I could finish as well as he did. But, you know, when you have that kind of faith in God, when you understand the sovereignty of God, you know, he saw it as gain. 
And I remember sitting with him that last day, and a comment was made to him, Joseph, you know, we're, we're so sorry that you have this cancer. And he said, I don't have cancer. He said, my body has cancer, but I don't have cancer. He said, my soul is as healthy as it's ever been. He said, maybe this body has cancer, but I don't. Man, I'll tell you what, I almost started crying. I mean, I thought, I hope I have that kind of faith. I hope I can see life that way. That is the gospel still real to you right now? Yeah. Is the gospel real now? You know. It was an amazing testimony. And like I said, the lives he touched were evident. This was one Christian in one church, just one member. In that church, there was standing room only. And that church was about twice the size of this church. There wasn't a seat to be found. Amazing. And let me say this too. He was a black man in a white church. Now, that speaks to me. There was not a seat to be found. The impact that this man made. I never met a man I could love more that was a greater brother in Christ than Joseph. So, Remember that there's no shortcut to the often painful process of sanctification. It's necessary to make us fit as members of the kingdom. And when God makes life hard, we can rejoice. We can obey God. We can embrace adversity. Don't blame shift. Walk by faith. And in this way, we prove really the validity of our faith. Even though we're tested by fire, the result is always going to be that we praise and glorify the Lord. And we can honor Him and know that someday we will stand before our Creator, we will stand before the Lord Jesus Christ, and all of what we lack now will be given to us at the consummation, at the revelation of Jesus Christ. What a day that's going to be. So, anyway, any questions on that? So that takes us to the end of this little little time in this issue. Yes, Norm? I had a little uh, exchange with George via text, and I quoted to him, uh, 2 Corinthians 4.16, 